It'd be great to keep uh, Luke 13 open in front of you. And let me ask you, have you changed your mind about anything this week? Maybe you got dressed this morning and then uh, after looking in the mirror, you changed your mind about what you should wear this morning. Maybe you changed your mind about where you want to go for your next holiday. Or maybe you changed your mind about uh, which park you should take the kids to or whether you should instead go to the pool instead of going to the park. Have you changed your mind about what colour your hair should be this week? Have you changed your mind and decided you should get a haircut like me? Maybe you've changed your mind about what you want uh, want for Christmas or who you want to spend Christmas with. Uh, I changed my mind a whole bunch of times this week about how to start this talk. I wonder if you've changed your mind about anything this week. Last week at the start of Luke 13, Jesus was urging Israel to change their mind about him. He was warning them that if they didn't repent, uh, they would perish. So will they listen? Will they change their mind? Well, let's find out. Have a look at Luke chapter 13 and verse 10. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. So on a Sabbath day, Jesus is in a synagogue and there's a woman there who's been crippled for 18 years. That must have been hard. Because I don't know about you, but I hate it when I get a sore neck for a few days. But this woman has been bent over, unable to straighten her back for 18 years. And Jesus heals her, verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up. Now that is a miracle. And the power and the compassion of Jesus, they're clearly on display here, aren't they? But there's actually something bigger at stake here. Because remember, this healing, this miracle, it happened on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath, you might remember, was a day when the people of Israel had been instructed by God to rest from their work. Now the Pharisees and the other religious leaders, they'd actually created a whole bunch of other rules about the Sabbath. And one of them was that healing was considered as work. And so as far as they were concerned, no one was allowed to be healed on the Sabbath. So is Jesus doing the right thing here by healing this woman? And perhaps more importantly, how will the people respond to him? Well, as it turns out, this isn't the first time Jesus has done something like this on a Sabbath. In fact, this healing is really like a mirror or a replay of some healings Jesus did earlier in Luke. For example, back in chapter 4, you might remember Jesus was in a synagogue on a Sabbath day and he drove a demon out of a man. Back then, the people weren't sure at all how to respond to Jesus and they, they said, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. A couple of chapters later in chapter 6, on another Sabbath day, in another synagogue, Jesus healed a man, a man whose right hand was shriveled. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law on that occasion, they were furious and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. They wanted to kill him. Big picture though is, back there, earlier in Luke, the people didn't respond well to Jesus. They didn't accept him as their Lord. Now fast forward to Luke 13. Here's a new opportunity 
another chance, after all Jesus said last week, will they change their mind? Well, have a look at how the synagogue ruler responds. Chapter 13 and verse 14. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. This guy's livid, right? He's furious that Jesus would heal on the Sabbath. But he's too scared to take Jesus on directly, and so instead he has a go at the people for daring to come and be healed on the Sabbath. Really? A woman who's been bent over for 18 years has just been healed, and that's his response? It's terrible, isn't it? It's tragic. And maybe the most tragic thing is that this guy is really representative of most of Israel. They continually refuse to respond to the message of repentance. They're hardened towards Jesus. They continually refuse to recognise him as their Lord. They haven't changed their mind. But what about the woman who was healed? How does she respond? Have a look at verse 13. Jesus put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. For the woman who was healed, she responds by praising God. Uh, This woman knows that Jesus' ministry represents the work of God and so it's good and right for her to praise God once she's healed. And so if the synagogue ruler, he's kind of at one end of the spectrum, this woman is at the other end. Their responses to Jesus almost couldn't be more different. And somewhere in the middle are the crowds. Verse 17. The people were delighted with all the wonderful things Jesus was doing. It's interesting, isn't it? There's a really divided response to Jesus. It's a bit like how people respond to, say, Malcolm Turnbull or Facebook or taking selfies, or McDonald's. It's a bit like how people think about doing exercise. You you either love it or you hate it. The woman loves Jesus. The synagogue ruler despises Jesus. There's a really divided response. And it's because of that divided response that Jesus goes on to tell two kind of mini parables about the kingdom of God. So as to show that irrespective of how people respond, the kingdom of God is growing. Like a seed that eventually grows into a huge tree and like yeast that eventually works its way through a whole batch of dough, the kingdom of God will just keep on growing. Verse 18. Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus tells these parables so as to make the point that even though the beginnings of the kingdom might not look impressive, it will change everything. A woman who can now stand up straight, that's barely a drop, isn't it, in the ocean, the vast ocean of human suffering. How can that be the kingdom of God? Surely there's more. I mean, Jesus healing one crippled woman wasn't even enough to convince the synagogue ruler to put his trust in Jesus. But the thing is, the kingdom of God, no matter how unimpressive it looks now, it is growing. 
It might have humble beginnings. It might not look spectacular. Growth may seem small, but like yeast, slowly working its way through the dough, nothing can stop the kingdom of God from spreading through the entire world. It's a bit like those two trees at the front of the building here. They were planted, I don't know, 15 odd years ago, tiny little things. And we haven't really noticed them growing over the last few years. But now they're great big trees. And birds do come and perch in their branches. And they spread nice cool shade over the front lawn there. In fact, just last Monday at the committee of management meeting, there was talk about needing to trim the branches that are growing over the path because they've grown so much. Kingdom of God's like that, you know. The message about Jesus, it is spreading. It is growing. And at times it's spread, it, it seems slow, but it is unstoppable. No one and nothing can stop it. And friends, as the gospel spreads, the kingdom of God, it does, it grows. And it grows and it grows slowly but surely until it changes everything. And one day, people from every nation and tribe and language, they will come and they will take shelter in the kingdom of God. And they will find refuge and safety and protection and forgiveness in the kingdom. Now, if the kingdom of God really is like that, if it really is growing, if it is unstoppable, If it is going to be that huge, given that the kingdom is where all the action is, how do we get to be part of it? Because remember, there's a big divide here. And not everyone will be in the kingdom. And so we don't want to be like that synagogue ruler, do we? We don't want to be like Israel. We don't want to be like that fig tree from last week, remember? The one that was cut down and thrown out. We want to respond more like the woman who was healed. And so Jesus goes on to tell a parable about a narrow door so as to make the point that there is only one way into the kingdom of God. And so you want to respond rightly. Let's have a look. It starts when someone asks Jesus a question, verse 23. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? It seems as though Jesus' warnings about judgment and his urgings for Israel to repent have touched a nerve because for Israel they assumed that the kingdom of God was for the Jews and that Gentiles would be the ones who would be shut out. But Jesus' answer to this question of whether only a few will be saved, it turns that assumption completely on its head. Because essentially Jesus says, Don't worry about how many will be saved. Instead respond to me and make sure that you're saved. Because there's only one way into the kingdom of God. It's a narrow way. And being part of the nation of Israel, it is no guarantee that you'll be in. Verse 24. Jesus said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. The way is narrow, because there is only one way into the kingdom. That's through Jesus. And if you try apart from Jesus, you won't get in. I was at Flip Out recently with my kids. don't know if you've ever been to Flip Out, but at Flip Out, 
there's this kind of main area with a whole bunch of really big trampolines and anyone at all who goes to flip out, they're allowed to go on these big trampolines. But off to the side, there's this smaller area with some small trampolines, but they're super bouncy. Now, all of our kids, whenever we go to flip out, they really want to go on the super bouncy trampolines. But the thing is, not all of them can. Because the small trampolines, they're really meant for the small kids. And so on the steps leading up to these small trampolines, there's a sign that says, uh, under 10s only, height limit 130 centimetres. All of my kids really want to go on there, but not all of them can. In fact, it's only those who meet this narrow, specific height requirement who can go on the bouncy trampolines. Now, the reason I mention that is because Jesus is saying that the way into the kingdom of God, it's a little bit like the way onto those trampolines. There is only one way into the kingdom of God. And not everyone who tries to get in will get in. Because the door into the kingdom of God, it is a narrow door. It's only those who listen to Jesus. It's only those who paid attention to the warnings from last week. It's only those who repent. It's only those who change their mind about Jesus and who acknowledge him as their king. It's only those people who will be able to enter the kingdom of God. Because to get into God's kingdom, we need to have our sins dealt with, don't we? We need to be forgiven. None of us can make it in by what we do. And the only way to be forgiven is through Jesus, by accepting his death in our place. That's why Jesus is the narrow door, because he's the only way into the kingdom. And not everyone will get in. Now look, at this point you might be sitting there thinking that God's stingy, right? He doesn't want people in his his kingdom. Nothing could be further from the truth. We thought about this last week. We thought about the fact that God is being patient with us. He doesn't want people to perish. Instead, he wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants people in his kingdom. The narrowness isn't that God doesn't want people in. The narrowness is that there is only one right way to get in. And you can see from today's passage that God really wants people to be in his kingdom. Over in verse 29, Jesus says that even though Israel keeps refusing to come in, nevertheless, lots of other people will come in from the east and the west and the north and the south. Have a look, verse 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and they will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. See, what he's saying is if Israel refused to enter the kingdom of God through Jesus, they will be left out. But that's not because God doesn't want people in his kingdom. In fact, if Israel keeps refusing to come in, then God will bring people from all over the world into his kingdom. Even people from some tiny place on the other side of the world, like Dubbo. And so much does God want people to be in his kingdom that he is absolutely gutted. He's devastated when Israel refuses to come in. Have a look at verse 34. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were unwilling. Many, many, many times Jesus has longed to protect Israel from judgment. 
He's longed to gather them together so as to keep them safe, like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. God really wants Israel to be in his kingdom. If only they would listen to Jesus. If only they would repent. If only they would change their mind about Jesus and acknowledge him as their king. If only they would enter through the narrow door. Because there is only a narrow door into the kingdom. And Jesus is that narrow door. The only way into God's kingdom is through him. Now after all this, what's the very next thing that happens? It's another healing. Yet another chance for the people to respond rightly to Jesus. But has anything changed? Let's have a look. In chapter 14 in verse 2 we find out that on another Sabbath while Jesus was in the house of a prominent Pharisee there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus this time he asks the Pharisees and the experts in the law if it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not and in verse 4 we're told they remain silent. So taking hold of the man Jesus healed him and sent him away. Now here's their chance to respond rightly. After everything that's happened, after everything he said, will they now change their mind about him? How will they respond? Verse 6. They had nothing to say. That is heartbreaking. Nothing has changed, nothing at all. They're not listening. They just cannot bring themselves to change their mind about Jesus. They just cannot bring themselves to acknowledge him as their Lord. It's sad. Now look, just like last week, in this bit of Luke, Jesus, he's talking to Israel. And he's telling them to repent. He's urging them to enter the kingdom of God through him. They didn't. And that's why they were rejected. That's why they didn't get to be part of the kingdom of God. But friends, we're not Israel. For most of us here, wonderfully, we have acknowledged Jesus as our Lord. By the grace of God, we are part of his kingdom. And so delightfully, we're more like those people from the east and the west that Jesus spoke about. You know, the ones who came and who got invited in because of God's generosity and patience. And friends, if that is you, if you have repented, in other words, if you have changed your mind about Jesus, if you are convinced in your mind that he is Lord, then let me encourage you, that is the single best decision you could ever make. In fact, changing your mind about Jesus and trusting him, it's really the only right response to make from the things we've been looking at in Luke the last couple of weeks. And friends, if that is you, if you are convinced that Jesus is Lord, then you are one of those who's come from the east or the west or the north or the south. And you have entered through the narrow door. And you have come in and you have taken your place at the feast in the kingdom of God. And if that's you, then maybe one of the lessons from today's passage is this. Being in the kingdom of God, it won't always be easy. But it will always be worth it. Remember what happened to the crippled lady after she was healed? As soon as she was healed, as soon as she stood up straight after 18 long years, she got a hard time 
She was made an example of. She was embarrassed in front of the synagogue. She was rebuked in front of them all. Being in the kingdom of God, it won't always be easy. But it will absolutely always be worth it. Because remember what we've seen about the kingdom of God today? It might not look real impressive now. It might be being rejected by those in authority. But it is growing. And sure, sometimes growth might seem slow. But even though it's growing slowly, it is growing surely and it is unstoppable. And there is a time coming, make no mistake, when Jesus returns and at that time the kingdom of God, it will be so immense that no one will be able to ignore it and no one will be able to refuse it. And on that day, those who've rejected Jesus, those who have refused to repent, they will be outside the kingdom. We sung about those people in one of our songs unprepared to meet him they'll be outside the kingdom and they'll be weeping there and gnashing of teeth and it will be absolutely terrible but on that day for those of us who have entered through the narrow door for those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Lord for those of us who have been forgiven and saved by his death for those people they'll be inside at the feast in the kingdom of God and in there they will find refuge and safety and peace and forgiveness and eternal life. And so, friends, whatever you do, stick with Jesus, won't you? Don't ever, ever be ashamed of following him. Don't ever, ever walk away from Jesus because there is only one way into the kingdom of God. It's a narrow door and it's Jesus. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thanks for the reminder from uh, this bit of Luke over the last couple of weeks, really. Thanks that you love us enough to have given us uh, this reminder, the reminder to repent so that we don't perish, and the reminder to, to, to acknowledge Jesus as our Lord, to trust him so that we can enter into your kingdom. Father, it's true, there only is, there is a narrow way into your kingdom. Not because you don't want people in there, but because the only way to get into your kingdom is through Jesus. And so please help us to be a bit like that woman who was healed. Uh, to praise you, to respond rightly to Jesus. Help us to be those who come from the east and the west and the north and the south. And who take our place at the feast in the kingdom of God. Help us to remember that the only way to do that is by trusting in Jesus. And so help us to never walk away from him. Help us to never grow tired of trusting and following Jesus, our King. We pray these things in his name. Amen.